What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. You can't see me today due to technical difficulties, but just bear with us. Bad week of technology on my end. But my co-host who never has technical difficulties, Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man? Yo, yo. Drop that coin. Get that good tech. That yeah, reliable this, ass shit, dog. Yeah, this is definitely going to push me to uh, not only get a webcam finally, which I've been holding off on, but just getting all the bells and whistles we need to have a successful <laughs> show. And if you want to support the show and you want me to be able to afford these things, help us get advertising by spreading the word with friends. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating review on iTunes. Share us with friends. We appreciate all your support and interaction with us, like interacting with you as well. Wanted to start with a callback here to something that we've talked about festivals a while ago. I believe it was sometime either last year or the year before. I can't remember. It's been so long. Golden Voice and AEG, two of the biggest in the game of festivals. Their FYF Festival, which is an LA-based festival this year. Their headliners, Janet Jackson, Florence and the Machine, and Future. They canceled two and a half months before their festival was about to to go off they canceled because of low ticket sales in april they announced this on uh, this past sunday that'd be the fourth dave we talked about how festivals like the bubble might burst festivals might be dying what are your thoughts around this yeah check out our breakout about music festivals when the first wave of lineups alongside coachella drops you can check that on the youtube channel and subscribe while you're there but yeah i've kind of seen two camps about it some people just say oh it's an okay lineup i mean i think florida's the machine in particular is a pretty strong and relatively unique headliner but you know it's a pretty weak undercard when you look down and there's pretty new artists pretty small artists that are like high up there but i think ticket sales kind of make sense there's a lot of music festivals in the country a lot of them have been around a long time but i just don't know if there's enough demand i mean even something like governor's ball doesn't sell out to the very last minute if it doesn't end up selling out completely, you know? So LA has other festivals as well. So I think maybe it was just lack of enthusiasm this year. Perhaps the relative lack of female artists booked at festivals nationwide is bearing fruit and people not showing up tough to say. But I mean, Golden Voice, they're not like a random put on a, a entertainment business or anything. They also do Firefly and Panorama. So they're an experienced group and it's a long running festival. So definitely interesting. Yeah. And actually to your point about the lack of female acts, FYF Festival, Golden Voice and AG were actually intentional with this one about booking more female artists. This one has 20, which is one of the highest in the country, which I find interesting that one of the most gender diverse festivals is being canceled this year and not selling very well. But to your point that Firefly, I don't think it's sold out yet. Bonnaroo, I'm not even sure if they are, or I know that they didn't sell it last year. So definitely a trend that we're going to be monitoring and talking about, but probably not a good sign for festivals in general. Just some good news before we move into a lot of music news. The rest of development is coming back May 29th. We talked about last week how they did a special cut of season four. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. A lot of movies coming out, uh, a lot of big music projects in June that we detailed. Good time for culture. Uh, what are you most excited for in the coming weeks? Rest development, May 29th, Tuesday release for Netflix. That's very rare. They usually dump everything they ever have on Fridays. I think Arrested Development, most would agree season four wasn't the strongest. That was the first Netflix season. But those first three seasons, despite being low rated when they came out in the early 2000s, so critically adored, arguably one of the greatest comedies of all time on television. And in terms of modern comedies, it's right there with The Office and Veep, as well as Parks and Recreation. So it's a big deal for sure. And they got the whole cast coming back, including Jeffrey Tambor. Ted Sarandos said that Tambor will be doing the press. They're not shying away from him. They're actually standing by Tambor, despite the fact that they you know, quickly cut ties with someone like Kevin Spacey. So it sounds like Netflix is taking it on a case-by-case basis and basing it off of that. They have no issues with him in the time he worked at Netflix. They're not going to just 
blackball him the way Amazon rightfully has over the transparent stuff. So that's interesting. But I mean, this is Jason Bateman's best role. Will Arnett's hilarious in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this me and Ali Shawquat. Like, there's there's so much to love about rest of development that even if it's not as great as the genius first three seasons i'm still excited to see it yeah and the thing about rest of development is it's kind of show if you watch it over and over you're always gonna pick more stuff up the writing in that is like on another level compared to even those other shows that you mentioned so rest of development is really exciting so yeah like you said coming out tuesday they must feel like this is going to get draw a lot of eyes no matter when they drop it but to kind of go back to my original question with all mm-hmm. these different things coming up what are you most excited for in may and early june push t king push or whatever they call it may 25th mm-hmm. hyped as fuck for that that i'll be gallivanting europe at that time but can't wait i'm, I'm excited for solo as i've said before cautiously optimistic and i'm looking for the deadpool 2 as well there's a lot of shit coming out fahrenheit 451 on hbo looks good the tale is supposed to be great i'm even kind of looking forward to what sean mendez does in his third album because he's like really popular and seems to be evolving as a singer and of course the kanye album assuming it comes out June 1st. So I'm excited for most things coming. <laughs> I mean, Solo's up there. The trailers have gotten better and better. So I'm really excited for that. Definitely the Fahrenheit 451 as well. Michael B. Jordan just cook as much as he wants. Yeah, and then obviously Kanye, really excited for that. I'm also excited to see how the new Billboard streaming standards are going to affect these ratings. You brought this to my attention. I think it was at the end of last week. That billboard right. was changing their, their streaming levels or, or how they're calculating it. And it seems like it's a pretty detailed change that, you know, it's kind of going in like this point system with page streams being one point, ad streaming being two thirds of a point and program streams being half a point. But then they're also moving it to these these two tiers of paid subscription starting um, in 2019 with the paid subscription with full album access. It counts differently. Right. A, a partial music library, a paid subscription. What are your thoughts around these changes? I know we've been kind of talking about how Post Malone is affected by this. So what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, I mean, Post Malone, we reviewed Beer Bounds of Bentley's last week. Check out that review. Check out a complex nostalgia pod. And I love YouTube, of course. Post Malone, we, we acknowledge that he's a streaming giant, incredibly popular. Stony again, was a top 10 album just this week alongside beer bongs and bentley's which went number one with 461,000 equivalent units that's including 153 traditional sales and probably most impressively he had the biggest single streaming week of all time with 431 million streams which blows away the previous week record which was drake's more life at 384 part of that is that more people have streaming now than they did last year it's obvious but post malone's incredibly popular now he did sell a healthy amount normally of traditional sales most likely itunes but also you know traditional cds but you don't get from 153 traditional to 461,000 equivalent without a fuck ton of streams. And that would be affected with these new rules because the assumption would be that Post Malone, most of his fans are young and most young people don't pay for streaming or at least young people use ad supported streaming services more than older people. That's the general wisdom anyway. And the basic gist of it, as you said, is that you're just emphasizing paid streams or giving them more weight in counting charts. And you know, as we've seen the rise of SoundCloud, you've seen an artist like Little Pump, Gucci Gang, number three. The Gucci Gang music video and Gucci Gang in general, a two-minute song can rack up streams a lot faster than a song that's four minutes long. Uh, and this kind of all be affected to a certain point. But ultimately, you know, I think it's relatively good sign just because back in the day, when something went 10 times platinum, 
that was 10 million albums sold straight up. Streaming, despite being the way we listen to music now, does kind of cut the corner in terms of a platinum album means less than it used to. So mm-hmm. I think it's just cool for history. And it's not going to really change much in terms of how artists get paid. So it's not like much of a negative in that regard. I'm, I am curious to see how it affects the charts in terms of hip hop, obviously, has been dominating overall, the most popular genre now, but it doesn't sell as much physical as rock does when rock is around. Like you'll remember, like Foo Fighters last year year majority of their big debut number one week was traditional sales so it might help other genres more than hip-hop which is the current leader i think it's interesting to see one last thing for albums it used to be like 1500 streams counted as one album sale now they're switching it that it's 1250 for paid streams so it's less but now for ad supported streams it's 3750 that almost seems like a bit of an overcorrection because that's a lot of streams to get to one sale but counting streaming is good just because you're you're basically rewarding the repeat listeners so if the song is good or the song is popular, it gets counted more. What do you think? I mean, I agree. As two baseball fans, we really care about history, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's something that, you know, you want things to be accurate. You don't want things to get skewed just by the fact that, you know, you can kind of game these systems in ways. But it's also, you know, like the double-edged sword of it is I don't really care as much about the Billboard Top 100. I do care about like Platinum and things like that. But at the same time, with so many options, people are going to be into different things. Some people are going to be into rock which like you said it's not been dominated as much and I think kind of going back to what we were talking about with Kanye if you're following these things and this is how you're kind of gauging what's important in music step outside that box be a free thinker grab onto your <laughs> dragon energy you know just go with what you like don't it doesn't really matter any to me anymore if these things go platinum or gold or I, I do like the idea of it being more accurate though so I'm on board with this I also wonder if like you said if these are the right ways to change it I think something like listening to an album straight through might be a way to really calculate streaming sales although no one really does that anymore i mean back in the day if it, it went before you had this kind of technology people actually had to go buy these things so now the fact that someone clicks on an album listens to one song and clicks off does that really represent a real album sale there's two ways around it i mean i think this will discourage faking or gaming of streams because there's less incentive to fake the free stream and i mean if you, are you really gonna work at gaming paid streams it seems harder to do and also probably would discourage just blatant chart chasing trackless lengths like uh, Migos Culture 2 because it's less advantageous, especially when your genre is more likely to use the uh, ad supported. But I mean, what's this really going to affect? This hurts YouTube's effect on the chart to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So it counts, of course. SoundCloud, not SoundCloud Go, just straight up SoundCloud, as well as Spotify's free tier. So any other paid services increased in value. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out um, in terms of the next big uh, Drake, for example. This, the effects go into effect end of June. So actually probably Drake gets in ahead of it. But I want to see the next big release, see how this goes, because artists like Adele and Taylor Swift, their most recent albums were not on streaming right away because they have such a baked in massive fan base. They can just push all these straight up album sales, but most people can't do that. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting just in terms of following the music game to see how the artists will react to this. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this affects the chart. Somebody that I don't think it will have an effect on is our guy Childish Gambino, someone that is just totally dominating the culture game right now. You know, Atlanta hit show and syndication. Syndication. He dropped yeah, him. No, not, not syndication. <laughs> I was like thinking about that. I was like, I don't think that made sense. Why I decided uh, his show with a lot of critical acclaim was what I was right. really going for. I mean, released Redbone, which got a lot of love. Uh, his Grammy nomination, top ten hit, I think. A lot of yeah. critical. 
claim. And I mean, he's been around for at least a decade now. His I mean, 30s. He's beloved in culture right now. Guy couldn't be hotter. He's going to be Lando Calrissian in solo. And he dropped on SNL two new songs. He hosted and performed as Childish Gambino this week. This is America, which had a music video directed by Hiro Mirai, who I mean, if we want to talk about heaters, that guy's on a goddamn heater right now. For sure. But Saturday uh, as well, which was a pretty fun song. Bino's retiring after his next album. What he said publicly, I think both of us are a little unsure if that means that Donald Glover as a musical artist is done. But what was your take on these songs and what do you expect from like a new Gambino project? I think this is perhaps marks a new shift for him musically. It's tough to say, but I think you could probably easily say that Awaken My Love, his most recent album from December 2016, was probably the one-off experiment in terms of the R&B funk love that the album was. I think that that was very much just what he felt like doing and making, right? Like a homage album, because these new songs are not that. What they are, though, I think, especially This Is America, it's, you know, actually it's like incredible commentary on police brutality and gun violence and stuff like that, and done in like a unique way in terms of how it's playing off the emotions of the way he's performing it. It's a really impressive song, and especially from a guy who's evolved from some pretty corny lows in his music career, you know, he's really come a long way. And especially in hip hop, mm-hmm. I was very impressed with just him being able to put this into a song that's actually good because I feel like his ambition and his creativity has always been there. But in the past, his execution has been weak. So I'm happy to see this being awesome because he hasn't been more popular musically than now. So I'm happy he's continuing to actually, you know, nail it. I saw a lot of people talking about with Kanye's status dropping a bit socially that Don Glover might be the person that can step in and take that, that creative place in, in the culture. And this song, I mean, with the music video like you were talking about is so well done so thoughtful and such a commentary on I think not only living in America but being black in America and what it means to be in America so there's a lot of really great things behind it and I think Saturday wasn't necessarily a song that impressed me that much but I think just the way Donald Glover chooses to continue to search for new sounds and not just rest on his laurels is really worth noting especially because he started his monologue with SNL I don't know if you watched it he basically was like I'm Donald Glover I'm going to be in the new Star Wars movie. And I was on the show called Community. And if you're black, I made Redbone in Atlanta. And yeah. It's like, it's yeah, it's like a perfect way. It's almost like he's embracing his own self at this point. So definitely really exciting to be following that. Now, in terms of the Donald Glover project, I mean, do you think this would be his last one as Charles Gambino or just his last music project in general? Or do you think it's actually going to be his last one? I can't see him abandoning music for good just because there are only so many outlets for him to be creative. TV's movies and music are his main things maybe he'll do some theater from time to time but that's the acting realm I mean I think music will always be an outlet for him but I think as we said before when he mentioned that he would retire the name and back then it sounded like he would just stop perhaps he'll just go long stretches at Justin Timberlake and just not really be musically involved for a long time but he did just get that new deal for his music so we'll see yeah to your point about Saturday I would like to hear what that sounds like as a studio recording before judging it but I did agree I was not as high on that as this is America but yeah Glover's his career is really interesting and I recommend the New Yorker profile that dropped back when Atlanta season two started. It's a really long read, but really gets into how he's kind of in his own head about the love people have for his creativity and his genius. And it's especially interesting in terms of how he's said by black culture and white culture. So he's a fascinating figure, but he's also definitely the creative we need right now when the guy who used to be in this mold has been having some tour meltdowns. So um, <laughs> very excited for what he has next. And of course, I'm sure it'll be great in solo and he'll be in Lion King as the voice of Simba next year. So great future to the surprise of absolutely nobody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mentioned Hiro Mirai before. If you haven't been paying attention, this dude directed 
seven episodes of Atlanta, one of the most well-received shows on television. Not in syndication yet, though. He directed episode six of Legion, which was absolutely fantastic and we'll probably be mentioning as when we do our recap of the season and he also directed two episodes of barry this season and yeah. one of them had probably one of the coolest shots of the the season with i think he directed the one where they were like driving up with like the music blaring and the, yes. the gunshots come through the car incredible filmmaking and i mean this music video is a testament as well to his skill i mean those three shows you mentioned those are probably the three best american-made shows that are on right now yep and he's had a part in all of them. Yeah, he's he was someone I was not really familiar with because up until he started working with Glover, he was a music video guy. Mm-hmm. So quite the meteoric rise for him as well. I'm sure he's turning down offers left and right at this point. Oh, I, I can only imagine. You know, something that we were excited to see and weren't able to get tickets for is Shalos Gambino performing this September. And Ray Schremer is going to be opening up for him in September in New York City. Ray Schremer dropped Shrem, which uh, the three replacing the E. And this was triple album with Ray Schremer collaboration, a Sway Lee album called Swaycation and Slim Jimmy with Jim Tro. Is that yep. what it's called? And this was what their third album, very ambitious album. The cover art was a, a clear nod to Speaker Box, the Love Below Outcast album back Fuck from yeah. the mid 2000s, which went 11 times platinum that back album. in 03 or whatever yeah, that was. So that, that ain't from streaming numbers, dog. That's dollars, dog. Yeah. <laughs> and it I mean, this is an hour and 40 minutes. So this is probably the longest album of this year that I've listened to. Well, it's slightly shorter than Migos. It's like, is it really slightly shorter like, than Migos? Despite being three tracks longer, it's like four minutes shorter than Migos. So it's effectively the same length. God damn. Just ridiculous. I mean, Ray Schremer, what they, they burst on the scene in 2014 with no flex zone, mm-hmm. undeniable fun song, and then really blew up with Black Beatles and the Mannequin Challenge in 2016. 2016 so 2018 two years after the last album is this a good album is it worthy of being a triple album so i think it's worthy of the triple album just because they as we said before they actually tried to make it unique there's the a, a straight up you know sequel to their first two albums in shrem 3 and then you have the solo albums that follow swaycation jim tro and people have always been joking around since they brought up oh well uh, sway lee should leave slim jimmy behind he's way better similar to how like people used to say oh quavo and offset they should leave takeoff behind uh, meanwhile i think jimmy like takeoff has gotten substantially better since they've been a group. But yeah, I think this justifies the length just because it's three distinct discs that are all under 40 minutes long. So you can kind of jump in and out of them because they all have kind of their different vibe. And, you know, while I still think there's some bits of filler on each disc, I think overall, I think it's more worthy of its length than Culture 2, which was just a lot of bloat and Mm -hmm. the same thing front to back. Yeah, definitely. This is way more interesting than Culture 2 in so many ways. But I think the fact that they did split it up and it seemed, especially Swaycation and Jimdro had very different ideas. I think you probably could have taken the best songs from those ones and just put it onto the the Shrem part and made one just like decently what 12, 13 track album. But why don't we kind of break it down? So from Shrem, what, what were the standout moments for you? What were things that you weren't really too high on? Right. So I think, you know, overall with their first two albums in mind, I was actually the lowest on Shrem 3 versus the two solos just because it's only nine songs and we'd already heard four of these songs. Yeah. Power Glide, their second single, my favorite song on, on that disc. It's already on our Spotify playlist. Check that out if you're not following it already. But then Perplexing Pegasus, that came out in November. We thought it was a promotional single when it came out. Nope, that's still here. Then Teed Up, which also, you know, is an okay single. And then Close with Travis. So like I'd heard four of the nine songs already 
two of the other ones have have a feature. So I thought that disc was okay. But then I think Swaycation really switched up the vibe, as you said, because it's Swaylee actually doing the singing that he's kind of done here and there. Then last summer with his big hit with French Montana, Unforgettable, number three in the country, be like, oh, wow, Sway can really rock like an R&B song. Yeah, that's basically what he did in this whole album. And, you know, he can really hit those falsettos. And I thought it was a much more breezy uh, listen. And then Jimmy has always been ignorant as shit. And that's what this disc is. Yeah, and it's fun. And that's what you're listening to it for, and he delivers. So I think I think Strum Three itself was I was underwhelmed by it just because Strum Life One and Strum Life Two both have like six hits each, they straight up bangers. And I don't think Strum Three has that as many. But they're trying different things. I gotta give credit to them, even if it's not totally hitting. If anything, these guys are just catchy as hell. Like even Perplexing Pegasus, great single. I heard it again. I kind of skipped through ones I had heard before. Power Glide. I get it. Another infectious song. But I heard it and I was like, you know, I'm gonna jam out to this right now like mm-hmm. that's the thing i think you have to give ray schreiber a lot of credit for is even though these guys have such different styles kind of in the same vein as outcast when they come together they can make bangers and right i know that you kind of tweeted about zoe kravitz's moment on this but a song like antisocial smokers club really yeah. stands out as just a fantastic song that i was not expecting to hear something like that in this album but when i did i was like yes this is what Ray Schremer can be. It's funny. You know what vibes I got from that song? I, that reminded me of Natalie's rap from mm. Lonely Island with Natalie Portman. Jimmy wrote the verse for Zoe Kravis. He said that. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, she's cool. We have mutual friends. She vibed and she fucking wrote the verse. And I think her feature price will be up now. Yeah. But yeah, it's an ignorant song. I think her like cadence, like she has, it's a simple flow, but she really rides the beat. And mm. yeah, that song is just really ignorant. I think that's the highlight of Jim Tro. Yeah. Oh, definitely. What was the highlight of Swaycation for you? Honestly, it was probably her to look mm-hmm. the lead single because I remember when that dropped. I remember Joe Budden was tweeting. He's like, "Wow, Sway, I, w- I wasn't planning to get in my feelings today, man. Why did you have to do that to me?" <laughs> but yeah, I think that kind of like shows the promise of uh, Sway Lee. I mean, overall, again, I think there's songs that can blend together. You can probably skip some of these, but I think "Hurt to Look" kind of just shows that wow, this guy both can be a great rapper with great has great chemistry with his brother and then he also can really do r&b stuff i think sway lee is one of the most important people in hip-hop because he's one of the best if not the best at doing both rapping and then flipping it into r&b he's very much like drake in that regard i was actually really surprised i mean it was very trap heavy you know it had some like elements of psychedelia at times too a bit of a right. flatbush zombie vibe at times but really the way that swaycation kind of ebbed and flowed together was really impressive and i thought the production throughout this was just really great like well made it production pretty much mm-hmm. i mean there's only a couple songs he didn't have his hands on so i was really impressed with this to say the least i mean especially because i see race remembered mostly as a, a fun group like a group that i'm gonna nod my head be excited to see the festival but not one that i really was gonna take seriously for like critical acclaim but they showed me something this on this album that i think leave a really bright future for them right yeah i think the lasting takeaway is as you said before if we kind of cut this all down into one disc maybe like a 14, 15 tracker, it would be super, super strong. But despite that not being the case, I think, you know, they didn't just run it back again. You know, even right. in Strum Life too, they made a song like Black Beatles, which as we all know, took off. But these are guys that are willing to do different things. That's not like they're not lyrical. We know that no one's expecting that from them, but they're still doing different sounds and trying different things on their album. I'm really happy 
that uh, they continue to go for this and not just feel content to just kind of pump something out for the sake of going for the charts. And it's funny because they're not actually like big chart movers. It's projected to do 55 and 60,000 first week, which actually is much more than Strum Life 2. Strum Life 2 kind of flopped when it came out and then it was bolstered later when Black Beatles took off. So if they wanted to go for radio, they could have, but they didn't do that. They're not worried about that. And they're actually just trying to you know do different things. And I think that's what you get on this album. I wanted to ask, other than Zoe Kravis, what's your favorite feature on the album? I think Travis was kind of weak on Close. The Weekend was fine. I, I, it's you know it's probably Future. I think Buckets is pretty good. It's not it's not Pharrell with that weird alien thing. So my my friend Jose texted me that he was loving that verse and like Pharrell's kind of been active in the Future game lately. Post that yeah. nerd album. I, I think you know it, it's a fun rap verse from him. Probably one of his best in a while. That's a weird song though. Yeah, he's I guess he's in the mix too. I thought Young Thug actually was pretty solid on Offshore on Swaycation. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, actually I think the Weekend that song drags on a little bit and it probably could have been minute and a half shorter but overall I, I really was digging the way that not only was he singing the hook on that but just like the way he kind of melded into the vibe of that song in general I thought he really stole that track anything else from this album that you think is worth mentioning we're talking about anything we're missing I just think give these dudes a shot because I think a lot of people weren't that familiar with them until Black Beatles came out I mean no flex zone no type those are big songs from Strum Life One and then you know, they got throw some O and Nicki Minaj and this could be us and come get her. There was cuts on that album, but they're not really like pushing numbers, which mm-hmm. is interesting because like they got like a lot of Instagram followers. They're like famous guys and they do great on tour. But it's just kind of weird that it doesn't totally add up in terms of stream. I don't know why Post Malone can do damn near gold in one week, but these guys can't hit 70. Like It's just weird that one is so much less popular than the other. You know? Given how popular hip hop is overall, you'd think Ray Tremor is one of those acts that most of hip hop would be excited to listen to as soon as it drops. But Maybe that's not the case. Ray Schremer needs to pick up an acoustic guitar and start singing some like punk yeah. emo songs from the early thousands. <laughs> well, maybe Sway's feature on Beer Bongs and Bentleys ah. will drive more people to this album. Let's hope. The sad world when Post Malone is getting a lot more love than, than Ray Schremer. I do take sauce in the fact that Drake will no doubt blow away his streaming week record once Scorpion comes out. No doubt. He I won't mean, keep that record. <laughs> it's just a matter of time, basically. Yep. So th- that's going to be it for the week. Again, apologies for the technical difficulties. Anything that we, we missed this week, Dave, that you wanted to get to that we can save for a future week? Well, there's just some stuff coming out that we'll probably talk about in the next week or two. The Seagull. This movie comes out with Saoirse Ronan. Any listener of Nostalgia will know how high we were on her in Lady Bird. So I'm excited to check that movie out. It's got Annette Bedding in it and Corey Stoll. Excited for that. Terminal, this like noir crime movie with Margot Robbie. Looks pretty cool. That's also coming out. And then on the music front, Charlie Puth is dropping his sophomore album, Voice Notes. His new single, Attention, came out like a year ago. He's weird because, as most of you know, See You Again, his song, Wiz Khalifa, is the second most viewed video on YouTube. Uh, it was number one until Despacito passed it, but damn near 5 billion views or whatever it is. But then he, his debut album, Nine Track Mind, was critically pan. It's got like a 2.5 on Pitchfork, for example. So I'm excited. I'm not excited, but I'm interested to see how he follows up his fame in terms of whether he can make a critically liked project. And then uh, T Grizzly's debut album also drops this Friday. So a lot of music, a lot of movies to be talking about. We're going to be uh, talking about some some things that we haven't gotten to, some some albums and little movies that we've, we've seen but haven't talked about in the pod yet in a couple of weeks. So if there's something that we haven't gotten to, something that we should be getting to, tweet at us at NostalgiaPod, at Martin Swagger, and at Sheeny World Peace. Berate me on why I should upgrade my laptop so I don't have these technical difficulties anymore. 
And yeah, just give us any feedback at NostalgiaPod. Go to YouTube and subscribe at SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and give us a reading review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next week. You will definitely see me next week. Any last thoughts for the people, Dave? We are now on iHeartRadio. So if that's where you get your podcasts, we are there. Yeah. <laughs>